This is the HuffPost Love and Sex Podcast. Each episode, we ask a single question. To find the answers, we speak with experts and listeners like you. This podcast contains explicit content. Please proceed with caution. I'm Noah Michelson. Today's question is, what can men and women do to achieve a better orgasm? It really changed my life because now I have the power to control my orgasms. Uh, I know how to do it. I know a lot better my body. So I think that's it. It's a, a liberation for me and to have power in, in my body and in how my sexuality works. What's up, everyone? My fearless co-host Karina is off gallivanting around the country. So this week you are stuck with just me. It's going to be the Noah show. But don't worry, I'm going to be joined by two inspiring women. The first is Loli. She's from France. And you heard her at the top of the show. She's one of our loyal listeners, and she inspired this episode by emailing us about her two-year quest to make orgasming a reality for herself. And we're happy that she did. We're also going to be speaking with Jenny Block. She's a good friend of mine. She's hilarious, really smart, and she's the author of Oh Wow! Discovering Your Ultimate Orgasm which is her brand new book, and it came out just last week. And I'm going to chat with sex therapist and author Ian Kerner. We're going to talk about the male orgasm, which is actually a lot more misunderstood than we've been led to think. But before we get into all the details, let's hear a little bit more from Loli about her quest to orgasm. Um, So um, I'm a very sex-positive woman. I've I've been having sex for, I don't know, 10 years now. I, I lost my virginity when I was a teenager. And uh, I really always enjoy it, having sex with partners or even with myself, masturbation. I did a lot lot of masturbation. But my main issue was that I couldn't reach an orgasm. And when you reach your 20s or your 22s, all your girlfriends are talking about how great their orgasms are. And I was like thinking, "Is, is it something wrong with me or... What is the problem? So I started to do some research about uh, clitoral stimulation. I I knew that uh, you couldn't reach an orgasm just with uh, penetration, but I think for me it was very important to uh, have an orgasm with myself first and then with the partner. So I started to do a lot of research and read about um, all of these different ways you could reach an orgasm, but I just couldn't get that there and uh, it was uh, very frustrating because it lasted for like I don't know maybe one or two years before I really could um, understand what happened to me and then uh, just uh, surfing the web I encountered this uh, article about Kegel exercises Uh, so I was very like, yeah, Kegel exercises are more for, like, uh, people who, or women who, who gave birth. So I was not sure about it, but I just tried it. So for just one week or maybe 10 days, I started to do uh, a series of Kegel exercises every day. And to my surprise, when I masturbate after this week or these 10 days, I just started to, like, play with my vagina, play with a push-in, push-out, that's, like, uh, the Kegel exercises were. And, uh, well, for my surprise, I had my first orgasm. (laughs) And then, uh, well, it just started from there. Uh, I could have multiple orgasms or... uh, 
even I get to squared one time, and then I just realized that that was was missing. It was not my clitoris. It was not my psychological aspect of it. It was really uh, the strength of my vagina and how important uh, the muscles are in order to have an orgasm. So, uh, well, that's the evolution from having nothing to having multiple orgasms and even squirting. So how great is that? I was actually having kind of a bad day when we interviewed Loli. And after we were done, I felt such a high because she's one of those people that was really open about her sexuality and about her quest to find her orgasm. And I love that she took matters into her own hands and, and made it happen. I don't exactly remember when I first orgasmed. I think I was probably 9 or 10, and I kind of think I had no idea what was going on. I just knew it felt really good, but I didn't know why it felt good, and I didn't know how I was exactly making it happen. It was sort of like this magic below the belt. Um, So I think the first question is, what makes men and women orgasm? An orgasm is really a nerve reaction, and it's your body's reaction to pleasure. And I would say it's the highest point of pleasure. That's my friend Jenny Block. She's also the writer of Oh Wow, her new book about the orgasm, which came out last week. It's interesting because I was talking to um, my girlfriend the other day. We were talking about how long an orgasm lasts and how do you know when it's beginning and when it's ending and when you're in the middle of one. And part of my thought is who cares if it (laughs) feels, keeps feeling good, then what difference does it make? Um, But it definitely has an arc. You know, you can feel it starting and then it, I think the high point of, you know, of the pleasure when afterwards you really just want to sleep or have a sandwich, that's when you know you've had one. I love her description of the orgasm because I think we can all sort of relate to that, where you actually get off and then you have that sort of sleepy coma phase where you do you sort of just want some cookies and then you want to take a nap. That's maybe my favorite part, actually. But now let's hear more about the male orgasm and ejaculation. There's two processes that really happen. One is vasocongestion, which is blood flow to the genitals. Uh, That happens throughout the process of arousal. Uh, The other is myotonia, which is the muscular sexual tension that develops throughout the body. And basically, those two processes during male arousal reach a tipping point, otherwise known as the uh, process of ejaculatory inevitability, excuse me, the point of ejaculatory inevitability. And that results in an orgasm or an ejaculation. Uh, Lately, um, sometimes it's useful to think of it as two separate processes, as the physiological process of ejaculation that's also accompanied by uh, the uh, neurological process of orgasm, um, which is basically a neurochemical cocktail that kind of explodes in the brain. Um, and so we can talk about those two separate processes. And certainly for some men, they sometimes will experience one without the other. But for the vast majority of men, uh, they experience both ejaculation and orgasm simultaneously. It's funny. I think a lot of people think the male orgasm is a pretty straightforward event. But that's not really true. I mean, for a lot of men, orgasming can be something sort of torturous. Either it happens way too quickly, or maybe they can't have it happen when they want it to. Um, And it can bring about a lot of shame and a lot of, I think, discomfort, especially in relationships when you're dealing with someone else and you're expected to perform in a certain way, especially when we have so much 
porn now that shows us how orgasms are supposed to function, and it's really unrealistic. So coming up, we'll look at a couple techniques for having a better orgasm. But before we do that, let's talk to Jenny again about the key to female orgasms. I just find women so fascinating. Like our bodies and our minds, when the two of them work together, are capable of the most remarkable things sexually. If you find something sexy, for example, having your toes sucked, that can be all it takes because the brain and the nervous system are directly working with one another. So if your brain tells your pussy, oh my God, that feels so good. Oh my God, that feels even better. Oh my God, I just came. Then you come, which is kind of crazy. Now, most women need direct clitoral stimulation because even if your mind is in a really good place, even if you're having your toes sucked, even if all the planets are aligned, it is still a response that in general requires that physical touch. But there are certainly women who are exceptions to that rule. So it's amazing what you can do if you're sort of willing to be attuned to it. I get so many emails and letters from women who are like, I'm totally freaked out because I can be really close and not be able to come. And then all of a sudden, you know, I think about another guy brushing my hair and I can get off. And I think, good for you. Like That, that seems quite simple to me. Um, some people have much more dramatic and extravagant um, fantasies. I'm always so amazed when I attend, like I attended the AVNs years ago. And, you know, every possible fetish is out there. Girls in bikinis, popping balloons, people, you know, walking without their shoes on on top of you. Like, I mean, what, whatever you can think of, it's out there. And to my mind, as long as it's consenting adults, as long as, you know, no animals or children are involved and everyone knows what's up, Hey, and especially if it's only going on in your head, you know, more power to you. So orgasm is a very strange and magical thing and something that I think we deeply misunderstand. Um, there's so much about what I really just consider procreative sex. I mean, putting a penis in a vagina and moving it in and out in a couple times can be really great for a guy because of his anatomy, but really not so much for a woman. I mean, there's there's so few nerve endings inside the vagina, you can actually do surgery without anesthesia. So come on. Now, the good news is the clit, you know, is not just the little bud you see on the outside. Um, it does have long internal legs, and so it can be stimulated via intercourse, via penetration, but that's not the main name of the game. So my, like, I have this fantasy about this sexual revolution for women where they're just walking around with t-shirts that say rub my clit, you know, cause that's, that has to be the new messaging. That has to be. And that's good for, that's good for anybody who wants to sleep with women. It's not, it, it's not bad for men. It's great news because men, I think, want to make women come or want to, you know, facilitate female orgasm. I don't think anybody can make anyone else come, but I, I think they want to be good at it. Who doesn't want to be good in bed? So I think having this information is far better. And that's, that's what, oh, wow, that's what my book is really about, is about, you know, letting go of all the junk, getting your mind into the game, and doing the good stuff. You know, it's interesting you're talking about the clit and how important it is. And we did an entire podcast about the clit um, and how many people, both men and women, don't really understand or utilize the power of the clit and how, how important it is to having an orgasm. I think in the same way, there are a lot of women, probably a lot of women who are listening to this podcast who are also are not having orgasms. Why are there so many women who aren't having orgasms? First of all, your question's making me very sad. 
And I do want to say that I, you know, Sophia Wallace and our Cliteracy Project is really making amazing strides to change the fact that we even talk about the clit and know what the heck it looks like. That street project we did, which is part of, you know, the HuffPo project that shows people not knowing what the heck it is, is devastating. I think the problem is that there's too much darn misinformation out there and women are made to feel guilty about wanting the real information. You know, right now the messaging is if you can't come from vaginal intercourse, there's something wrong with you. I mean, that's, that, that we have a very strong history of that. I mean, the Victorian era, era, women used to be diagnosed with hysteria, which basically meant their husbands were fucking them, going nowhere near their clit, and they were walking around on the edge of orgasm all the time. I'd go bonkers, too. You know, so what doctors were doing were masturbating them to orgasm. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy to me that that was happening then and we're still here now walking around blaming ourselves for not being able to come from something that doesn't make us come. I mean, that's like eating air and wondering why you're still hungry. Like, it, it just doesn't make any sense. So there's so many things that we have to let go of. We have to let go of our guilt because we have nothing to be guilty about. We have to let go of our shame because there's nothing to be ashamed about. Women have as much right to their sexuality and to orgasms and pleasure as a man or anyone else. We have to let go of all the religious and the social junk that's spinning around in our heads about being good girls or nice girls or whatever it is people are so worried about. If you got rid of all that junk, if you lived on an island, if this was Blue Lagoon, if something touched your clit and it felt good, you would follow that. We have to start doing that. I mean, we, we, we eat the food we eat, I hope, because it tastes good and it's good for us. That's exactly the reason we should be having sex. One of our listeners wrote in and she said that she's tried several things to orgasm, clitoral stimulation, trying to remove different psychological blockages, things like that. Um, but the one thing that really helped her finally orgasm was uh, Kegel exercises. So can you talk about your thoughts on Kegel exercises and, and how vaginal contractions can help people orgasm? And maybe even talk a little bit about what Kegel uh, exercises are. Yeah, sure. Um, Kegel exercises, for lack of a better explanation, basically is like you're trying to stop yourself from peeing, and the goal is to strengthen your pelvic floor, which is good for you anyway, because many women in the you know in your later years find that you know you have some urine being released when you don't want it to, and and Kegel exercises can help to protect your pelvic pelvic floor and keep that from happening, but it also strengthens, obviously, all the muscles internally, which means that you can, how do I say this, you can squeeze a toy or a finger or a penis or whatever's inside you, and when you have an orgasm, your your vaginal muscles do contract anyway. So what's interesting is that when you imitate that orgasmic contracture, it's actually very much a turn on to many women. So you can also, you can use it for a couple of reasons. You can use it to strengthen to start with. You can use it during sex because it, it, what, it, it increases the stimulation that you're having because you're grasping onto whatever is inside you. But it also has that sort of, it's almost like um, breathing exercises where if you, if your breathing starts to imitate what an orgasm feels like, your body sort of follows suit. Again, it's a little bit of that fake it till you make it. Um, it, it has a very, I was going to say it has a very strange good feeling. I know some women who don't care for it during sex because it just reminds them of peeing. Um, but if you can practice them before, that's one 
option, but also doing them dur- during sex helps some people. Coming up on HuffPost Love and Sex, we're going to talk about how you can prolong and intensify your orgasms, which is something I think everyone can get excited about. So I don't think it's any secret that I'm a huge fan of the orgasm. I think most people are. But one thing that I sometimes have an issue with is this idea that, especially for gay men, or maybe it's just for me, I don't know, but there seems to be an emphasis on the orgasm. And so sometimes it seems to be that, you know, guys like, oh, are you a top? Are you a bottom? Let's fuck. Let's just do this. And instead of it being about just spending a time with someone and having a good time and trying to just pleasure each other. It gets just to be about, let's race to the orgasm. And I find that really frustrating. So I wanted to talk to Jenny about this obsession with the orgasm and if if that can actually be a bad thing sometimes. Okay, so that... That is an amazing question, and I'll tell you why. Because as much as I'm an orgasm advocate, more than that, I'm a pleasure advocate. Because the other problem is you're absolutely right. Like, we have become sort of orgasm obsessed. Like, did you come? Did you make her come? Did I come? How many times did you come? Whereas really, the the best sex is pleasure-oriented sex and not goal-oriented sex. The problem is that's really hard to focus on or to say to people, and it can be a tough boat to be in. Like, I personally don't love sex that doesn't end with an orgasm unless I've started out by signing up for that, like saying, you know, I'm feeling a little out of it. I definitely want to play with you, but I feel like I can tell you now I'm not going to come. Um, So it's actually funny because I don't know if there's just too much orgasm pressure in my house these days between National Orgasm Day and Oh Wow coming out or what, but my girlfriend has had to say to me several times recently, hey, 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 stop thinking so much about coming and relax for a minute. Like, I can tell you're not here right now. And I'll think, oh my gosh, talk about the cobbler's son goes without shoes. You know, it's really easy to get caught in that spiral of, I've missed it, I passed it, I'm not going to come. You know, how do we undo that? It's it's another, it's another matter of, you know, fake it till you make it. I try to remind myself sex is about pleasure. I try to keep myself in the moment. When my head gets away from me, I nicely ask it to come back to me, and I try to focus on my breathing and my body and what feels good and paying attention to my girlfriend right in front of me um, instead of worrying, you know, that the girl who writes about orgasms can't have one. But it's not just important for women to stay present in the moment. I think guys can also get really caught up in their orgasm or the search for the orgasm or the road to the orgasm instead of just enjoying what's going on around them or to them or with their partner. And Ian and I chatted about why this is so problematic. Right. I used to think about... uh my grandfather on his deathbed that I saw when I was like nine years old. Like, is that really the thing that you want to be thinking about when you're uh, making love is an image of your grandfather dying of cancer on his deathbed? Um, You know, and and again, yeah, that's based on myth and misinformation. Try and distract yourself. Try and disconnect yourself from the pleasure. I mean, that's the opposite of what you should do because as soon as you start trying to distract yourself or as soon as you start trying to, to, to disconnect yourself, you're actually... Uh, heightening anxiety. Mm. You know, you're, 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 you're thinking about it more and trying not to think about it. Mm-hmm. It's like that famous study, you know, uh, make sure whatever you do, don't think about a, a white elephant. Right. Right. All you're going to do is think about the white elephant. Right. 
of course. I wonder, though, if um, the gay community is sort of um, so used to non-intercourse-based ways of pleasuring, whether it's oral stimulation or manual stimulation, that the idea of just sort of having an open book in terms of pathways to pleasure is sort of so much more part of the gay male sexual consciousness, whereas for heterosexual men, it's really just, you know, penis, vagina, intercourse. How long can my penis last inside of this vagina before it ejaculates? Right. I think that's very true. I think that is sort of like the pathway to it, whereas for queer people... Um, right. It's it's right. often not. Right. So straight men really need to start thinking more like gay men. For so many reasons. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, you know, if straight men could learn a lot from gay men, I think gay men and straight men could probably learn a lot from women, especially when it comes to multiple orgasms. Okay. So women experience uh, multiple orgasms. Uh, women get aroused. Uh, they have... Uh, an orgasm, uh, rather than going back to the pre-aroused state, they seem to return to a semi-aroused state. So there's still a lot of blood flowing in the genitals and in the pelvic area. And so for a lot of women, they can either go back to that pre-aroused state or they can go on to have uh, get re-aroused and to have um, more orgasms. So women can experience what I would consider authentic, genuine, multiple orgasms. Can men experience the same thing? Um, Again, like anything in sex, like when you start to talk about the G-spot or you you start to talk about squirting and female ejaculation, it becomes immediately very controversial and you'll have guys who will come and say, I can have 12 orgasms uh, in an hour. Uh, What does that mean? Are they? Some will say, I can have 12 ejaculations in an hour. When you go to porn sites these days, you see a lot of um, some of the hottest, some of the most popular porn is uh, men getting hand jobs from women. It's called either edging or hand job torture, or sometimes they're calling it ruined orgasms, but it's basically men having two or three ejaculations sometimes uh, per session. In general, uh, I think when we talk about male multiple orgasms and men who are experiencing them, what we're largely talking about is men who are really able to get themselves just up to that point of ejaculatory inevitability uh, where they may even um, begin to emit some pre-cum onto the tip of the penis. And it's incredibly exciting. It's incredibly pleasurable. And it doesn't have, like, the the full power of, say, the ejaculatory orgasm, but it's nonetheless different than just being aroused. And you can talk to men, and whether they're calling it edging or they're using tantra or it's just their approach to sex, they're bringing themselves very close uh, to the point of ejaculatory inevitability, and then they're kind of pulling back. It might be beneficial to pull back when you're edging, But Jenny Block advises not to hold back when it comes to your sexual desires. And I want to leave you with my favorite part of our interview. When people read, oh, wow, I want more than anything for them to walk away feeling empowered to their own pleasure. And I know that sounds a little bit woo-woo, but that's... That's what I want. I want men and women alike to feel like now it's okay to talk. Now it's okay to say the things. Now it's okay to do the things. I, I remember, and I write this story in a wow, about a woman I was with 
some time ago, who it was her first time being with a woman, and afterwards she said, you've ruined me. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, what, ha, what am I going to do now? How am I supposed to have sex with other people? How am I supposed to have sex with a man again? If I know this is what sex can be, open and fun and silly and coming over and over and all these different ways to play, how am I supposed to go out and face the world? And I said, no, that, this is, I just gave you the magic wand. This is exactly how you're supposed to go face the world. Don't bother partnering with anyone who doesn't want to play in the same open, wonderful buffet ways that you want to play. It's as easy as that. And believe me, they're out there. They might not even know themselves yet. But when that kind of sex is offered, when that kind of sex is explored and talked about and you actually you know, make a foray into it, believe me, you won't ever go back. Okay, everybody who's listening right now, I want to repeat something that Jenny just said because I think it's maybe the most important thing to come out of this entire episode. She said, don't bother partnering with anyone who doesn't want to play the same open, wonderful, beautiful ways that you want to play. And I think that's really true. I think we can talk about, you know, the search for the bigger, better orgasm and all the different methods by which we could try and find that, whether it's toys, whether it's, Uh, new situations with new people, whether it's Tantra. But in the end, if you're not having sex with people that you actually like and that you respect and who like and respect you, you're probably not going to have a very good time. Or maybe they just don't like to have sex the same way that you do. And that's going to happen. You know, not everything that turns me on is going to turn you on. Um, So I think the search really is beyond just the search for the orgasm. The search is really looking for the right person or the right people to help you find that orgasm. And you know what? If you don't find those people or you're having a slow month, um, have sex with yourself. Usually that's going to be a pretty good time. And along with being open and honest about what you want, you should also be playing safe and you should be getting tested regularly. So listeners... That is the end of another episode of the HuffPost Love and Sex podcast. Thanks to our producer and editor, Caitlin Baguki, and our audio engineer, Brad Shannon. Please let us know what you think of the show, especially if you have an idea for an episode or you want to share your own story. That's how we get some of our very best topics. And you can find us on Twitter using the handle at HuffPostPodcast or shoot us an email Our address is loveandsexpodcast at huffingtonpost.com. And if you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to leave us a rating or a comment wherever you subscribe. It'll help other people discover our show. And people, keep clicking those gold stars. If we get more gold stars this episode... HuffPost is going to let me take the week off so I can just have multiple orgasms. Our next show is all about how you can use astrology and magic to find love. You don't want to miss it. Hold up. 